Hindu box and you know and then you put them in the box label put them cover the box and put the label on Hindu Buddhist Christian and then this situation is under control now <laughs> and uh, I don't like it personally and uh, if you lock if you try to, to put it in the box and lock it that way and the situation is not under control it's just, there's a curiosity here so for me that's what it is so but uh, as I say, I have to I have to speak to you what I know. That is Buddhist background. So whenever you practice, this the word practice is uh, very interesting. I mean, you know what the word means. But uh, daily, what do you do? How do you do? What do you do? It's that's the most important thing here. Is what would you like to achieve out of this? What do, you, what do you want to achieve? That is the main question. It's not, it's not a question, what should I do? It is the question that what do I want out of that? Are you with me? This is an important because everybody would like to know what to do. To do anything you do, it's fine. It doesn't matter. Do whatever you want to do. But the point really is what you want to get out of it. And the purpose of your spiritual practice. What is the purpose? For what you are doing it? That is the first question you have to ask yourself. And accordingly you can frame it and make your practice to fit for the purpose what you want it. Are you with me? That is important to remember. It might not be quite normal in the Western culture. Western culture, you probably think spiritual practice is something is a big over there, and then you know I have to do that same thing. You know how do I do? That may be the idea. I'm not sure what you think, but that's my sort of doubts on that. And what I learn, where I come from, is the spiritual practices and huge, and it is a wonderful things, and it is adaptable for anything you want to. It will be like a dress that has to fit you. You can't have a coat which is three times size of this, and I'm trying to wear which I did actually a shirt. <laughs> Yeah, I did that. You know, I, mean, doesn't, uh, I do have a huge problem here. So anything fits here, this shirt, it's, uh, you know, it's not going to fit me here anywhere. So three times because I have. It doesn't work that way. So the spiritual practice is almost you can gear and tailor it for, for your needs. That's as far as I know. That's what they have done. All the people who have been through from Buddha tell my late masters, all throughout this lineage, as well as millions of people who have done that. So according to the Buddha, the best, the best of the best is to be able to obtain enlightenment. We call it enlightenment. What is that? Total knowledge, a total awareness. A Buddha himself considered is uh, enlightened, enlightened one, awakened one, they will say. Because there is nothing that Buddha does not know. And that also simultaneously, past, present, and the future, and that also of the future changes. And how it's going to change, finally, where it's going to land. All of them, known simultaneously, together at the same time. Of everyone, not only, uh, not only uh, himself or few of us, or few of Buddha's followers, but he said, as many as uh, are living valuable, including the insects and everyone 
and their lives and everything known to Buddha. And that's why he called total knowledge enlightened. And uh, of course, the Buddha doesn't, people don't accept the Buddha as we do today. Today, everybody, nobody will criticize Buddha today. And everybody, those who don't like Buddha, they will, they'll keep quiet. And they just sort of give respect. And those who like the Buddha, they have a work rate. And uh, that, that's what it is. But when Buddha was in life, it doesn't work that way. He has also a lot of critics. And a lot of critics, and they criticize him by having a false claim of the total knowledge. And he said, I'll be happy to prove it. And then they said, well, how are you going to prove it? So you ask questions. Now, well, you probably read my mind, so you know uh, whatever I, we ask questions, you know. So you say, okay, I have a suggestion. He, he says, you go home, every people of there, whatever, that's time, whatever the thousands there are. So everybody, you go home and pick up a piece of grain from your own home, put them in a little whatever cloth or whatever it is, and give you a personal mark and don't tell anyone and bring them bring them and uh, then I tell you whom it belongs to some kind of 50,000 bundles came up and they started picking up one by one this belongs to that family from this village from that territory and started giving them that exactly in his lifetime then he proved and there's a lot of those stories. It's not just one. Every time, whenever Buddha was challenged, he proved each and every claims that he made. Everything. There's a huge volume of a thing called base of conversation. Actually, Buddhism came out of that. Truly, Buddha did not sit over there and I said, hey, this is my religion. He never did that. He was been asked questions, and um, he answered, and uh, there's the incident take place, and then goes back to Buddha and asks, and he gives you the background of why this has happened, and all of them put together and become a Buddhism. It's not that sort of a nice, beautiful idea that Buddha had and brought them together, and they made a Buddhist religion. No, 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 it's not. It's all incident by incident and by everything combined together. That's how it became Buddhism. So, so for Buddha, the, the biggest goal, the best goal, what the human beings can achieve is a total knowledge, total enlightenment. And his simple reason I could achieve it, why can't you achieve it? You and me, there's no difference. That's what, that's what exactly he said. Pangbuchyodang, he said, you and me, there's only the one difference. That is, I work hard, and you being lazy. And that's the only difference, he said. And he kept on every point. That's the true reality, because that, as a human being, we can achieve. Human beings' capacity has no limit. You know it. I know it. We all know it. Whether it is a spiritual or material, scientific or whatever, human beings' capacity, there is no equivalent at all. What do we call it? Science achievement. Achievement of a scientist. Now, you know, like two days ago, the science claims it is almost possible that we can prolong all our life as well as our health. I'm sure many of you have read it. That's about three days ago. They have come out that. So all of those are, we call it scientific achievement. Mind you, I mean, we're sending rockets, right? We're sending a human beings to the other planets, such as Moon and Mars and all those. And that is, we call that a scientific achievement, but it is human achievement. 
you know, these materials doesn't get together by themselves and uh, become a machine. There is a man behind that and a mind behind that. Research by research, inch by inch, you know, worked and worked forward and made that possible. Am I right or wrong? Or is that something called scientific, it works by themselves together, you know, all these particles come and stuck together and become a machine by itself? No. It is a human achievement. So it shows human beings' capacity is unlimited. We have the capacity. We are the human beings. You have the capacity. I have the capacity. But we couldn't use it. I couldn't use it because I don't know how to say this, contemplate. <laughs> Whatever that is, you know. I mean, I can't say that because, because I didn't use my capacity. But you can say it easily. I cannot say it because I've been lazy. And you learned by your whatever mother tongue or whatever it is, you know, because of that. And I've been lazy, so I didn't get this. This is just an example. So everywhere. Well, maybe I know a little bit better about the Tibetan Buddhism because I was born in there and I had the opportunity and again like a mother tongue for me. And uh, you people didn't because you didn't born there, you born here. But we all have the same capacity. If we use it, we can. That's what it is. So according to the Buddha, the best goal what we can get is to become a total enlightened. That's not the only goal. That's not the only goal. Little below than that, if you can't get to that level, well, you can at least have a, a kind, compassionate mind, caring for everybody, a loving kindness, caring what they call the bodhisattvas. That is a Buddhist terminology. Bodhisattvas. And uh, sometimes it is important to use the Buddhist terminologies. You know, I'm trying not to use Buddhist terminologies by thinking, well, it will be very difficult for people to hear it. And uh, like uh, two days ago, just two days ago, we are up in the garrison, it's opening of the garrison institute. And I spoke there a few, few seconds. And um, and I try not to use any Buddhist terminology at all. And then, you know, the, after me, the number of other speakers, including uh, Paul Goldman, many of you probably know. And the Paul Goldman is using all Bodhisattva, this Bodhisattva, that. Everything is Bodhisattva and everything is using it. You know? So it is a funny, and uh, here I am, uh, supposed to be from the background of that, and not time not to use, and here the Paul is using the other way around, and Bodhisattva this and Bodhisattva that. So anyway, at the level of the Bodhisattvas, meaning the ultimate, unlimited, unconditioned love and compassion. Once you have that, you become Bodhisattva. And if you, even you can't get that, if the goal doesn't stop there, then comes down, uh, comes down to the level of what they call it, nirvana, peace, freedom from the negative emotions, peace from the disturbing thoughts, disturbing actions. Even that is too much, good life. Life that can achieve our wishes and a life that can guide us better future. Good life. So there's so many levels. And so you have to choose the goal first. What do you want to, I mean you don't have to choose first. And we go and talk about it and after a little while you begin to know, well, this is going to fit me. Well, that's maybe too much for me. I'm not going to worry about it for the time being. And, uh, well, this is what I needed. And how do I get on that? So that's how you can do.
So this your spiritual practice are normally you can tailor it to your goal. That's what the Tibetan Buddhism is all about. It. It is it's been tailored to the individual's need of what you wanted and what you needed and how we work about it. That is the very rich value of the Tibetan Buddhism. They really almost get individually tailored. But again, whatever the goal is, so you have to, your practice really has to be worked that way. So when you, when you are unable to make the choice, and in generally, what the Buddha recommended for everybody is best. Is a wise set of less than best. Even you don't get it, doesn't matter, you get it to a certain level. So why settle less than best? So that was the Buddha's recommendation. So what they do is almost all the practices can be fit in any purposes when you change your goal. But what you do is almost the same thing. But what you, what you really aim is the different. And because of the motivation, it will tell by itself. It goes because of the motivation. Are you with me? Because of your motivation, whatever you do, it makes difference. I give you one example. If you are motivated just to be a little kind to animal and give a piece of bread to a dog, and if it's just kindness and compassion out of that, little bit of that, and giving a bread to a dog, and your motivation to be able to achieve total enlightenment, to serve all living beings, and just give a piece of bread to a dog. What you do is one thing, giving a piece of bread to a dog. What you achieved is two different things. Two different things. With that great motivation, you have achieved a huge benefit. With a single idea of a little feeling for animal and the giving a bread gives you a benefit and the result of giving a piece of bread to a dog. But with other motivation, if you give, though what you did is you just throw a piece of bread to a dog, but because of the motivation, the result is a tremendous, zillions more than the other one. That is from the motivation angle. So the Buddha was always recommending the motivation. As a matter of fact, Buddha emphasized so much, first thing what to do, out of all meditations, first thing what you to do is watch your motivation. What for you doing this? If you come here to listen, if you come with the motivation of serving all living beings and helping them in order to help them for me to achieve some spiritual development for serving them. Actually, I want the spiritual gain, but the purpose is to serve them, not just for my sake only. If you come with that motivation, these hardships that you have taken, you achieve, you get a lot of merit out of this. Do you know the word merit is? Well, it's like a good karma, like it's a luck, it's a fortune, it's a good karma. So the motivation makes a lot of difference. So Buddha recommends everybody, before you to do anything, whatever I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do just for my sake, but I'm going to help all those I need to help. And so, therefore, I'm going to do this. Not for me, for everybody. At least have that mind. 
Anything you do, even you do just your daily chore in your own home, in your own little corner, doing your laundry or daily chores or, or vacuum cleaning your room or anything, whatever you're doing, do that with that motivation. You're doing nothing extra. You're simply doing what you're supposed to do. You have to do anyway, though, though, uh, though you may not, but uh, you know, and no one would like to be in a, a, such a messy place, so you've got to tidy up anyway. So the tidying up itself is if you use that with that motivation. Pick up those dirty underwears and socks and are thinking not only to make me feel good but for the benefit of all beings I would like to create a, such an atmosphere where I can do a spiritual practice. Okay. Now, is it look a joke? What is not? Is it reality? That is how you learn these things. These are that. And uh, it is because of that motivation the picking up your dirty underwears and the socks have become a spiritual work. Pick them up, throw them in laundry laundry machine. Uh, thinking, I'm purifying all the negativities, wrongdoings, for the benefit of all beings. And the dirty laundry water goes, clean cloth comes. It's a very simple and these are the points. One thing, you know, I remember very uh, funny where one of my greatest, great master, the Gebje Ling Rinpoche, senior tutor to his holiness, his Dalai Lama, senior teacher. One time I was talking to him and I talked to him about mindfulness. Mindfulness. And uh, so he said, yeah, 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 mindfulness, yeah, the meditation. He said, yes, yes, he said, yes, you have to be mindful and have a mindful meditation. And I said, how? So well, he got up, walked to the door, walked up to the door, and he opened the door. I am now opening the door. <laughs> and he walked outside the room and said, I am now outside the room and then he came back come back he said now I am now inside the room and I am now closing the door so he closed the door and he said that's mindfulness meditation then he said now add up he said add on top of that I am opening the door for the benefit of all living beings I'm stepping outside the door for benefit of all beings. Now I'm going inside the room for the benefit of all beings. Now I'm closing the door for the benefit of all beings. Then he added one more, he said. He said, I'm opening the door of liberation for all beings. I'm closing the door of suffering for all beings. That is how many times we open our door a day? How many times we close our door a day? And if we bring those thoughts every time, when we walk in, walk out, and instead of banging the door, <laughs> how much benefit we get? These are the little tricks that you have to learn for practice. Anyway, motivation is number one. Then awareness, mindfulness, followed by these seven practices. These are wonderful things, really particularly a few of them, out of them. Really, really great things. Great things. There is a, a famous Buddhist book. 
written by a great Indian master called Shandi Deva. Shandi Deva means, uh, if you directly translate, it will be like, it says, God of Peace. That is his guy's name, <laughs> God of Peace. Whether he's God or not, but definitely peace. So according to that book, he says, he said, Buddhas, Buddhas means not a Buddha. All fully enlightened are called Buddha. Whether it looks like Buddha or doesn't look like Buddha, doesn't matter. Whether it's a man, woman, whoever, whatever. Black, white, brown, yellow, green, whatever, pink, elephant, whatever. So as long as you are enlightened, fully enlightened, according to the Buddhism, there are Buddhas. Whether you come from Buddhist tradition or any other tradition, doesn't matter. It is a Buddha. Buddha. So the number six. So the old Buddhas thought for a couple of years how best way human beings easy way to practice, and they draw the conclusion of these seven. So it's not just the fancy little things picked it up from here and fancy another one picked it up from there. It is the enlightened one's thought for eons and then came to the seven points. Of course today we are making it as short as possible, easy as possible. Traditionally they make it as long as possible, difficult as possible. That was the traditional way. Now, for example, we have here, I bow down in body, speech, and mind. That's few words, right? If you look at the traditional old texts, for that line, page after page, page after page, you know, they go, you can go on chanting the whole day, saying the whole time, you know? So, Bow down is also a very strange word anywhere. So even in this practice, you know, a prostrations that we do, which we, which is not in the Western culture at all, but is the, the traditional Asian culture, that of Indian culture, and the way and how they show the respect to whomever you are showing is uh, touching the highest point of my body to the lowest point of your body so that I'm showing my respect to you. That is the old culture. Culture here. So, but then that became a practice and the people do the prostrations and they do a hundred thousand prostrations. 100,000 times. It is not a big deal at all at that time. So today, we make as short as possible, as easy as possible. So when you make it short and when you make it easy, we must work hard through our body, through our mind, through our speech, all together. At least we put strong efforts there. Right? So bowing down here is, as I say, is not good language at all. The language what we have in Tibetan is a chak tsao. Chak is showing my respect to you by almost touching the highest point of my body to the lowest point of your body, that's your foot. Touching my forehead to your foot and showing how wonderful you are, I giving you my all my respect. Why do I do that? I do that because I admire your qualities. Not because you are king or queen or general or wealthy, but your quality, 
the quality of what you have is a fantastic. So I like to have the same quality what you have. So this I bow down doesn't give you that message at all. But we don't get better language here. Every translator that we look through, everybody used this. Some people use five, six lines, but still doesn't convince that, convey that message at all. But whom you're doing this? Whom? The enlightened ones. Whoever that enlightened ones, you can imagine. Whether it is Almighty, or Buddha, or Jesus, or whoever that you think it is great. You think I like to have that quality of that person. So for that, we are fit to do that. So, Object of refuge, we call it in Buddhist terminology. Refuge or no refuge, to whom, whoever you are worshipping. And that is your focal point of your practice, seven practices, your focal point. Buddhists call it object of refuge spiritual field of merit. These translators, sometimes they are great. We like to be, like to be very grateful and gratitude. Sometimes we like to catch them and squeeze them. Get them from there. Supreme field of merit. Can you understand? Supreme. Field of merit. You know, merit, you know, field where you grow the cones, field of cones. And here they're going the same thing, field of merit, where you grow your merit. That's honestly, that's what it meant. So if they have settled for the object of refuge or some better words, how wonderful it is. But you know, you have to say, field of merit. Okay. So, so whoever that is, it is entirely up to the individual practitioners. And no one can tell you whom you should worship and whom you should not worship. It's your choice. You make your choice, whatever the reason you do it. If you have good reasons, great. If you don't have good reasons, too bad. But whatever, whatever you do, that's good. But one thing, strong recommendation from Buddha is don't worship ghosts and spirits. You know what I mean? The hollow wings coming. <laughs> don't go in those haunted houses and keep on worshipping. Okay? So that doesn't work very well. Why? Because they themselves is a subject of compassion, those ghosts, if there is. If you don't think there is not God, ghost, you will be better off. Miller Rabba, the famous Tibetan saint, had said, So meaning, if you have so much doubts here and there, and you know, or superstitious here and there, he said, you get so many thieves, so, so if you go and sleep on the haunted house on the following night, that's fine, but don't go there and worship to those ghosts, if there is. And that's not good. Why? Because they are not free themselves. They are equally afraid of us. As much as we are afraid of them, they are afraid of us. It's very simple. If you go there with no fear, they won't do anything bad to you. If you go with the fear and doubt, they are there with the fear and doubt, they will do something. 
just like the tigers and dogs and cats. You all know how you deal with animals. Very similar to those. Take it from me, because I really know about this, honestly. Especially if you go to Southeast Asia, there's so many this type of ghosts, so many of them. They come into towns, you know, and they get into people and, you know, all kinds of things, all kinds of things. And I am such a person, try to avoid them completely as much as I could, <laughs> honestly. And sometimes you can't help it. You're caught right-handed there. <laughs> then you can't avoid it. For example, one time, it is in the, in the west Malaysia, but uh, near the eastern Malaysia, in Kontang area. And I heard there is a kid, about 11 years old kid, with tremendously suffering because some ghosts occupying the kid. And I'm trying to avoid, you know, going everywhere, trying to avoid, and if they try to make appointment, I don't know. What should I encounter with the ghost? For what? So if I can help, that's good. But if I can't help, why should I bother? So when I was giving talk like this, it is a, a huge, you know, I don't know, seven, eight hundred people. And I saw that they're bringing that kid in, <laughs> coming through. <laughs> oh my God, now, you know. <laughs> so, I saw that kid coming in. So I said, well, uh, and then they want to talk to me while I'm talking here, you know, standing and teaching. And I said, no, you go back in that room and wait for me till I finish here. And uh, it is a little girl, about 11 years old. And uh, then I said, uh, when I got in the room, I said, uh, the father and then that three or four other people. I said, you people leave and let me alone, please, kid. I was scared of the ghost. <laughs> and they will not. They will not. They will insist to stay. I said, why? He said, you won't be able to hold that girl. I said, I don't have to hold girl. He said, no, no, no. They came to some another, the Rinpoche came and all this, and the, the girl went crazy and slapped him and kicked him and did all that. So they won't let me go. And actually, when she gets something, Four of them could not hold her right hand. And they got, really got that much. So, but the idea is, you know, if you're not afraid, and if you know what you're doing, you don't have to afraid. And uh, then they said, go to see Rinpoche, go to see Rinpoche. They keep on saying, telling the girl, go see Rinpoche. And she looked at it, she said, there's no Rinpoche, there is a funny blue man. She's running and she's trying to, to scratch the, the cupboard and try to get into that cupboard, running into the cupboard, scratching the cupboard door. So I said, oh yeah, now I had upper hand. So I caught from the leg and pulled out. And so, you know, I, then I talked to that girl, who are you, what are you, why are you here, and all that. You know, it's a really sad, sad story. Sad, sad story. There was a family, and they had a fight, and then they're killing each other. And uh, 11 different ghosts in that little girl. 11 different ghosts. And they came one after the another and tried to explain why they're there. And I had to negotiate with this all 11. And uh, finally, a Buddhist monk from Thailand, who also became a ghost. And then I said, look, you're wearing the dress of a Buddha. And now what you got into, into is ghost. And you ashamed of yourself? And then he said, what do I do? But you know, my supposer and my benefitor and blah, 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 got killed by these and these guys, blah, 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 and I, and I said, when? Uh, it's about uh, like uh, 60, 70 years ago, and they're all there. So the, finally, I did agree to make them as some prayer for them, puja, few days ago, few days later, with the fire puja. 
and they all leave that day, never bother the girl. So I was lucky to be able to manage that. That's not because I am somebody, but because I am my mind is straight. And I know what I'm doing, that's why. So anyway, I'm not ghostbuster. So cannot take refuge to them because they are not free. They themselves is suffering because of revenge. They just wanted to have revenge. And the poor little girl who has nothing to do with all these people. Even the family has nothing to do with that family. Because they couldn't get on anybody else except whoever has a lower extreme, self-esteem. And they've been able to enter in those. They're opening whenever they see. And that's the reason why you don't take a refuge to those ghosts. The Holy Ghost is not ghost. It's different. Anyway, so therefore, whoever you are doing this business, I call this business, spiritual business, whoever you do doing with the business, you do the business with a person that fit to be object of refuge. Those great ones, they're fat because they themselves are free from those things. We try to run away. We try to get ourselves free. They know the way how to do it. They have a compassion. They don't care whether you give $10 or $1,000 or $1 million. Doesn't make a difference. Or don't give anything. It is the compassion that makes. For us, it makes a hell of a difference. Whoever, forget about a million dollars. If somebody give you a thousand dollars, we'll be willing to do everything. Monkey dance. <laughs> Anything. So for compassionate people, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So they are free. We have to have an object to whom you're either going to worship or whatever you're going to do. This is business. A serious business. Business through which you can make a profit. Profit such as by bowing down to this object, correct object, we purify our negativities and we ask the qualities. And these are the points where you can make a business. And admiration and simply admiring is the one thing. Here, the spiritually, you admire the quality what that person or persons or whatever the thing or whatever it is, process. And the seeking that quality for me, for me, for the benefit of all beings. And that makes the first point. Working through our body, working with speech, Working with the mind together, not simply just saying, I bow down, but really thinking, admiring the quality of that person. By entering these words, bodily doing gesture, at least gesture, even you don't touch the highest forehead to the lowest feet, but at least have folded hand gesture. Saying these words and uh, admiring their quality, quality of a body, quality of a mind, quality of a speech, quality of knowledge, quality of activities, unlimited activities, unlimited total knowledge, and all of them, and reflecting that to yourself. If I speak from the Buddhist point of view, over here, you use the Buddha, the historical Buddha, representing the total quality, and I am the one who is seeking that quality of I have immatured Buddha within me. It's my future Buddha. Linking these two together and bringing that quality over there into this. And that is the, from the Buddhist point of view. But you can do the same technique to 
whatever, whatever tradition you follow. And I just got only one. Two, I may be able to do it. That is offering. Offering. Offering here is not just the offering that you put in the head. <laughs> We're not talking about that. We're talking about the offer, the best I have to give. It's the generosity. Generosity. You know how great generosity is. I don't have to tell you. You all know it. And that also the best. And that also multiplications. You give a flower. It is not just a simple flower. It is the purity. And it is the beauty. And it is the color. It is the art of presentation. And that also not one. You may give one. Through your mind, it will multiply. All space has been filled up with that. Although you just give a simple little flower, but made into a zillions of the flower that filled all the spaces. And the one for every sentient beings. See? The mind has no limitations. Material has limitations. Mind has no limitations. A single flower can change into a zillion different flowers. For each living being, you can offer a flower each to all enlightened beings. And it does work. A lot of stories I can tell you. I offer the best I have to give, both real and imagined, to fill the space between us. Ooh, all there. So this, what you have to use, use your mind. A tiny little flower, though it is a single, you get one. But visualize that. Visualize means imagine. The image really, you can multiply that a multi-million and I give it to all the enlightened beings. One each for every enlightened beings, one for every sentient beings. So we can do a lot of unlimited things. And that's why I said human mind has no limitations. Sky is the limit what we can do. Thank you and good night. <laughs>